Today is really a day of action. Like what Shane just shared about our next-gen ministries, it's a day of action. Many of you are feeling like, I need to do that. And it's partly because um, we're in that season where we're kind of ramping up and we're, we're doing all that kind of thing. And it's because school is about to begin. And so, yes, like all the, oh, all the parents in the room are like, thank you, Jesus, my Lord, right? All the kids are like, wow, you know, people are out this weekend. It's like the last hurrah because it's like over the next week or so, school's starting and do all that stuff. The first day of school is always traumatic, can be traumatic. It's especially traumatic when you are a freshman in high school. When you have made, some of you need to think, some of you are nodding, but you're thinking like way back. Like really reach back in your memory banks to your freshman in high school. When I was a freshman, um, the thing I remember most is that I was extremely puny. Like, I was, I was the smallest kid in my class, and I was, I was counting on that because back in that era, when I went to school, you know, it was just typical, just all in good fun, but it was typical for the senior class, the upperclassmen, to kind of harass, you know, the, the freshmen, and so you wanted to be kind of under the radar um, as a freshman, I figured I'm already small, so I'm going to really get low. Like I'm just going to, I'm going to kind of hang out for the first few weeks and see if I can just be left alone. And the first four days went great. On the fifth day, which happened to be a Friday, I'm literally at the end of the school day and I'm making my, I can see the bus because freshmen always ride the bus and I can see the bus and I'm walking across the parking lot and from behind me, this guy grabs me and there's like three football players, you know, they got their stuff and some of the moms in the front are like, oh, yeah, it, it, it's fine. And the guy picked me up like a baton and just started to twirl me <laughs> above his head, right? And I'm thinking, this isn't good. This isn't good. And as, as I'm trying to not vomit, I, I noticed that we were making progress and there was a trash can that was right here. And I could tell that that was my final destination. <laughs> and as he's twirling me and I'm preparing for the worst, suddenly I hear this voice behind me. Hey, bro. Let him down, leave him alone. I knew that voice. That was the voice of a kid by the name of Phil Rogers. He was a senior. He was a football player on our state championship team, and he actually went on to play football at Nebraska, University of Nebraska. He was a big dude. The reason I knew Phil is because my sister was a senior, and she was attractive. And so <laughs> Phil... Phil used to hang out at our house that previous summer, and they'd park in the driveway, and they'd sit there. And I wasn't, I wasn't in the group, but I was kind of on the peripheral, right? I'm the little brother, and so Phil and I kind of had a thing. And he said, let him down, and I heard Phil's voice. And you know what happened? I mean, it was immediate, just like, boom, I was down. And Phil just walked over, and he put his arm around me. I still remember it, and the three guys were there. And he's like, it's going to be fine. I was like, I know it's going to be fine. And for the rest of the year, it was fine because, you know why it was fine? Because I knew Phil. And we all need those kind of relationships in our lives, especially when we get in those parking lot, trash can sort of moments, don't we? So I'm going to ask you to risk something today. It's pretty full in here today. So I'm going to ask you to risk something. I'm going to ask you to actually talk to the person next to you. Woo, crazy. All right. You might actually make a new friend. Who knows? Probably not. So I'm going to ask you a question. And I don't want you to answer too quick. So don't start talking until I give you the cue. But I'm going to ask you this question. It's going to be on the screen. And I want you to think through your life and respond to this question. Here's what it is. Name someone. Think of someone 
that you feel like God has used in relationship with you to make your faith stronger or bigger, all right? Think about just the first name, all right? Who do you feel like, looking back in your life, did God bring along, like he intersected with his life, like you had a conversation, or maybe you just observed them for a long time from the distance, and you think back, you go, man, that was such an important connection that I made in my faith advancing. I want you to think of one name. You're going to share it in just a minute. One name, first name, all right? Now, some of you are sitting here and thinking, I can't play this game, right? Because you're here today, and you're like, I'm not even sure I'm into this faith thing. Like, I've had some bad church experiences. I'm not quite sure where I'm at with God. First of all, you are in friendly confines because all of us in this room have probably had bad church experiences and at different moments are not sure where we're at with God. So we're pumped you are here, right? But you're thinking you can't play. So you can because I want to ask you a second question that you can answer wherever you're at on your faith journey right now. Here's the second question for you. Who in your life that you have a relationship with has possibly God used to cause you to have an interest in faith re-examine faith or give faith, give God another chance, okay? Now, the fact that you're here today means that that probably has happened, all right? You're not there yet, but who do you feel like in your life, it seems like because of them, you have taken a new or renewed interest in faith, all right? Everybody, you got a name? Okay, I'm gonna give you like 15 seconds, just lean over and give that, don't like start like, hey, how you doing? No, no, none of that. Just give them the name, all right? And maybe just like a quick thing, like why that's the name, go. Go, go. Some of you aren't participating. Just talk to them. Say, I'm not participating. Just tell them that. All right, good. All right, stop talking now. All right, stop talking. So you shared a name. Now, I I have three names because I feel like, in fairness, I need to participate in the game. So I have three names, okay? So my first name is a guy by the name of Doug. Now, when I was a young teenager, junior higher, Doug took an interest in me, kind of became a mentor. And the reason that was important is because Doug was old. He was like 20, all right? And Doug, when you're like 13, 20 is like mature and old, right? And Doug was a Christian, and he was a believer, but he was cool, like a lot of the older Christians I knew were kind of boring. And like I thought, if this is what it means, like when I get to be like 25, then I don't want anything to do. And, th- and Doug came along just the right time. And we'd play basketball. And, and we played on the church um, softball team together. And we'd talk about faith. And I watched him as he dated a girl and then got engaged and then married that girl. And I just observed all that. And so Doug was very important relationally in the formation of my faith. And I still talk to Doug once or twice a year, Facebook, social media. So when I, if I had to answer the question, I would say Doug. Second name I would say is a guy by the name of Jonathan. We became friends about 10 years ago. He's still around. We're still friends. Awesome guy. And he came along at the, just the right time for me because I was starting to have questions about my faith. I know. Crazy, huh? Like I was starting to think, I don't like what is with this stuff, right? Like, I don't really know. And ministry, I was doing ministry at that time. I was starting to think, like, why are we doing this and what's this about? And Jonathan came along, and we used to eat breakfast together because I love breakfast. And we would drink coffee, and we would play golf, and we would have conversations. And everything could be on the table. Everything was allowable within those conversations. And it's really important to have a person like that in your life where you can just talk about that stuff. And so he and I would just talk about it. And it was, it was fair game, and it really helped me to rejuvenate my faith at a time where I really needed it. The, so, Doug, John, the third person was actually up here just a moment ago, Shane. 
You say, oh, Shane's a pastor. No, no, it has nothing to do with Shane being a pastor. Before Shane was my pastor, he was my friend. We knew each other. And when I was about 40, I kind of went through a life crisis. Anybody 40 in the room or about to be? Oh, it's terrible, terrible. So when I was like 40, I just went through this life crisis. And I was in ministry. And like, it, wasn't, it wasn't about my faith, really. It was just some bad decisions. And I was just in a bad place. And I wasn't sure if I wanted to keep doing this. And I, and I actually came back to Las Vegas. And I was moving back to Las Vegas. And on a Monday morning, I got a phone call from Shane. Now, working with him for eight or nine years, he doesn't call anybody on Monday after Sunday, right? He's like unavailable. But he called me, and he said, let's have coffee, and we grabbed coffee. And that became a relationship where he decided he was going to invest in a relationship with me, and he was going to get dirty enough to get down and dirty and get into those relationships with me and wrestle through that, and it's, it's been an awesome relationship. So here's the phrase that I would use for those three relationships, and the one that you may have shared with your new best friend sitting next to you is this phrase providential relationships. Okay. These are relationships providentially that God is involved in where someone intersects in your life at a critical juncture and changes the trajectory or increases the trajectory of your faith. They're providential. Now, I get it, providential. I had a part, right? I could have said to Doug, like, dude, I'm not hanging out with a 20-year-old, right? I'm good. I could have said to Jonathan, listen, I'm going to wrestle with my own faith issues. Don't have time for you. I could, have Shane, I could have said to Shane, I got this. I'm a dude. Dude's figured out. I don't need you. I could have said all that, right? But I didn't. And I believe God worked providentially so that those, those relationships impacted me. God was in the middle of it. And they shaped and they encouraged and in some cases rescued my faith. And your story is similar to that. When you hear a faith story, when you, see, when you hear somebody share their faith, right, or share their journey of faith, you, you always hear about relationships or people. Listen closely because there's always a common thread that's there. You never hear this story that says this, like, hey, man, I, in isolation, I discovered God in isolation, I grew and matured in my faith. In isolation, I discovered all the plans and all the purposes that God had for me. And it had absolutely nothing to do with anybody else. I did it all on my own. You don't hear that. If you think that's your story today, you probably don't know your own story very well. Because there's always relationships involved. You can't tell your spiritual life story without referencing people who have played significant roles along the way. When people tell their story, they always talk about providential relationships. I was just going along, and I met this girl, and I met this guy, and they began to talk to me about faith. I got invited to this gathering, and this person was there, and we started to have a conversation. I went to this class in college, and the professor was a Christian. He started to share, and it was threaded throughout. Or I went to work at this company, and my manager or my boss or my supervisor was a Christian, and I observed them from a distance and I watched how they led as a Christian and it impacted my life. Providential relationships. Some of us came back to church. We're here because of that. Many of us met Christ for the first time because of a providential relationship and here's why. Because it's simply this. God uses, God uses human relationships to impact our faith in him. He uses the relationships that you and I have to make our faith bigger, to make our faith better. We were designed to be the best version of ourselves when we live life in community. 
So let me tell you the story about one guy in a providential relationship. You find his story told by Mark when he told the story of Jesus' life. It's in Mark chapter 2. If you have your U version on the app, you can pull it out if you have your Bible. Mark chapter 2. Let me give you a little background on the story because his story didn't start out so well. He was born like that. That's what people would have whispered when they saw him on the street. He was born like that. Right? Because he, he was physically challenged. He had a, a disability. Right? And in that culture, it was very isolating. He couldn't use his legs at all. He had to be carried everywhere. He had no independence and not much of a future, quite honestly. There wasn't the awareness or the opportunities that exist today when we have those kind of challenges. It was basically a a sentence to live life as a beggar on the street. But something was different about this guy. Despite his brokenness, here's what was different, just one, one thing. Despite his brokenness, he was relationally connected. Despite the condition physically of his life, he had relationships. Here's how the story goes. I love this story. Like this probably is one of my favorite stories that we'll find. It says so much to us. It says this in verse 1, Mark chapter 2. It says, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, this was kind of his, basically his home, even though he was never there, he would have considered it as kind of his home base, Capernaum. The people heard that he had come home, verse 2. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. In other words, he went to this guy's house, probably got invited. The guy said, you can stay. He starts to teach. The room fills up. The yard fills up. The flowers get trampled. The HOA starts calling. We got cars parked in the street. This can't happen, right? And so this homeowner, he thought he was really cool because he had Jesus in the house, is now starting to struggle a little bit. And the crowd is surging and it's growing because word is spreading that Jesus has returned. And so verse 3 says, some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man. Remember that guy? He's been like that since birth. They brought him, carried by the four of them. Okay, think about this. So Jesus is this guy that's like radical, and he's teaching these radical things, and he's healing people. So these four guys hear about Jesus, and maybe our first thought would have been, we got to get there, right? we got to get a front row seat. That wasn't their first thought. That's what makes these relationships so powerful. Their first thought was to go to their friend's house and to grab him. Now, we don't know what he thought or whether he resisted, but he didn't have an option. They basically picked up his mat and they carried him to go see Jesus. And when they got there, the crowd was so thick they couldn't get in. Now, some of us think, well, why didn't the crowd have mercy and compassion and move? Well, Let's be fair. A lot of the crowd was in the same condition as that guy. They had their own brokenness and healing that they needed. So it wasn't that they were kind of being mean. They were just had the same agenda. They were trying to get in to see Jesus. And it says in verse 4, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it. Stop. So they go to his house and they pick this guy up. And they carry him, we don't know how far, and they get him to the house and they can't get in. And a lot of us would just say, I guess you'll get healed another day. Sorry, dude. But instead, they're innovative enough that they somehow get themselves up on the roof. They somehow get him up on the roof. I don't know how they did it. And then they decide they are going to dig a hole in the roof, the ceiling of this house. 
So they dig the hole above Jesus. They dig through and they lower the mat to where the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Just, here's Jesus. He's in the middle of the room. There's a crowd. The homeowner's probably sitting there. You know, he's all excited. Suddenly things start falling down from the ceiling. They look up. Before they know it, there's a new skylight in the home. And the first thing they see when the hole gets big enough are these four faces peering down at them. And then a moment later, there's a mat that starts to come down. And in front of Jesus, there's this guy who's probably wondering, what's happening to me? And the first thing Jesus does is deal with the guy's spiritual condition. Now, his friends may have not known how providential this encounter was. They were just trying to get him in front of Jesus so he could physically get healed. But Jesus understood that the spiritual condition was most important. He said, son, your sins are forgiven you. And then these guys who always poop on the party show up, all right? In verse 7, it says, or verse 6, it says, teachers of the law. Anytime you see those guys, it's not good. They were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like this? He bla he's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know, so that you will have no doubt, so it will be assured. I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And he says to the man, I tell you, get up. Take your mat and go home. Verse 12. He got up. He took his mat and walked out in full view of all of them. This amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. I want you to get a couple images in your mind. Remember when he got there and the crowd was so crushing he couldn't get in so they had to do the skylight thing? Can you just get this picture of the guy getting up for the first time? He rolls up his mat, puts it under his arm, and as he begins to walk out of the room, the crowd parts, just like the parting of the Red Sea, where they wouldn't move out of the way before, they're moving out of the way now. And he gets outside, and guess what? There's four guys who have probably literally jumped off the roof, and he gets outside, and they're reunited, and they're so excited, they're high-fiving, like, we can play five-on-five five again at the playground, sweet. And they run all the way home. And I don't know if this is true or not, but I just got to imagine the guy took his mat and he didn't just throw it in the dumpster, but he probably just leaned it against the side of his living room in the corner. And it just became a piece of furniture. And if you were to ask him that question that I asked you throughout this room earlier today about what are the relationships in your life that you believe God placed there so that your faith could get bigger, I don't think that gentleman would have any problem answering the question. He would say, that guy, that guy. That guy and that guy, my four friends. See this mat? This isn't just representative of my broken state. This is representative of friendship that wouldn't quit. That wouldn't quit. And we have to understand this because here, here's what is true of all of our relationships. Every friendship, every relationship, every every conversation you're having, right? It's either eroding your faith or it's building your faith. And let me say that again because it's true. You, might, you don't think of it in those categories, but if you think of all the relationships and, and the people you're hanging out with and who you're doing life with, they are either 
building your faith or they are eroding your faith. There's really nothing neutral about that. And so that's why this makes this very important because you're around people every single day who could care less about your faith. Honestly, we live in a culture that's not pushing us towards our relationship with God. Our nature, our human nature, our sinful nature, and our culture are moving us to drift away from God and faith in God. So there's a foundation or a structure that we can build that helps us to build that, that really confident relationship with God. If that structure exists, if that is possible, I don't want to miss it. Proverbs says this. You need to write this. Ver- like This is a great verse for you to just memorize. Write it on your friend's arm next to you in Sharpie. Okay, here's what it is. Walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. Okay? So basically this says, who you hang with is who you're becoming. Now listen, it doesn't say that if you walk with fools, you will become a fool. It says, if you walk with fools, you will suffer harm. Right? Biblically, when you define a fool, when they use that word in the Bible, it basically means someone who knows what is correct, what is right, and chooses something else. It's not like they're confused. They just know what's right, and they just say, I don't care, right? And we all, if we went back in our lives, and we went back to those moments where we, want, where we wish we could redo it, okay? If you went back to those moments we wish we could redo, it's that, that season of your life. It's, it's that test you took. It's that spring break trip. It's that day, that week, that decade, that time, that season of your life where you wish you could redo it. Think about it. You had plenty of friendships during that season. It wasn't that you were without relationships, right? Sometimes we look back, and if we were really honest with ourselves, we know that we had relationships during those moments that were harmful. We didn't know it at the time. Perhaps we did, and we didn't care. But the truth is, who we surround ourselves with either builds up or erodes our faith. This isn't just a conversation for parents to have with teenagers. This is an adult conversation for you and I. The people you choose to spend time with have the ability to influence your relationship with God. There is a spiritual component to our relationship. So who we surround ourselves with, listen up, it matters. That's why we have six, only six, we have six core values here at The Crossing. And one of them is this, that we believe life change, transformation, a word you're hearing a lot, that life change happens best in the context of relationship. We believe that. We live by it. We structure and, and, and are strategic around it. We're fanatical about creating relational environments for you to get into. Now listen, We can't create providential relationships. That sort of goes against the idea of them being providential. But we can be intentional about what we do so that God can operate providentially, right? We can form some structure around things. We can organize around things that will then allow for providential relationships to happen. And you got to get behind that because, listen, grace is free. All right, Scott shared about the parable of the sower a few weeks ago, right? And the idea that grace, the seed is sown. Grace is free, but growth requires your participation. Grace is free. God gives it. But grace requires your participation. And when it comes to this relationships, we want you to participate here at the crossing. Now listen, this is a large gathering today, big gathering. This can... uh, 
cannot. This cannot be the only environment that you participate in here at the crossing or you will not grow. Quality community and growth happens in a circle, not in a row. It happens in a circle, not in a row. Maybe you've been coming to the crossing for a long time and you've been doing this row thing pretty well, you know, but you're not growing. I don't know if this conversation happened when you drove here today. Maybe it did. Maybe it just happened in your head. It's probably one of those things we would never admit, but you're driving and you're just thinking, oh, I'm going to church again. It's kind of cool. You know, Carlos, he'll jump around a little. It'll be awesome. But in your mind, if you're really honest, you're thinking, man, I'm just kind of stale. Like, I'm kind of tapped out. I've been going on Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Of course you are. Because God did not design the best version of you to grow in a row. That we need to be together in relationship and community in a circle. You do and I do. Here's the two things I want to talk about before we close. If you stay in a row, number one, you will not grow. If you stay in a row, you will not grow. And number two, if you stay in a row, you will never know. You will never know. Let me talk about grow first because I had to do it. Listen, you're thinking, man, this is one of those messages the pastor preaches and doesn't do it. I had to do it. I needed to do it. About seven or eight years ago, I just, I just decided I need to be in community. So I invited a bunch of guys. I saw a couple of them. They're here this morning. They may be in this room. But a couple guys said, guys, I, let's just do life together. Let's just read a book. Let's do a Bible study. Let's just get together. So every Tuesday morning, we get together at 7 a.m. and we'd eat breakfast. And we bounced all around. We'd find the cheapest breakfast, best service, and we'd eat breakfast. And we'd read and we'd study and we'd pray. And sometimes it was awesome and sometimes it was just kind of, uh, and but, the, but it was always powerful, right? And we'd get up and we'd meet. And the relationships grew. And these relationships extended outside. They became providential. They extended outside of this Tuesday morning. Some, and what happened is these guys started to become leaders. We've got mission trips that Shane mentioned. Some of the guys that you saw in that picture are actually leading the trip right now. They began leading. They began to mentor others. Some of them moved. Most of them. A lot of them moved. That's what we do in Vegas. They moved. And they live in other parts of the country, and I hear from them, and God's moving in their lives. And this became very important. And I wasn't really the leader. I was just part of the group. And it was awesome because I needed that intentionality for God to then connect me with guys I could do life with providentially. A couple years ago, my wife and I decided we need to do something together. So we started a group. We call it the not-so-small group because it's kind of large. It violates principles. I don't care. Um, and we meet on Monday nights. Now, I got to be honest, right? We're on Monday nights. I, I, I don't wake uh, My wife and I don't wake up every Monday when there's group. And we're like, oh, my gosh, there's group tonight. I'm so excited. I can't wait. Right? I mean, honestly, sometimes you wake up, you're like, oh, man, I hope nobody shows up tonight. <laughs> but they always show up. <laughs> and they come in and we eat. And we, we study and we watch a video and we have conversation around the Bible and we pray together and people have issues and life and things, real things, and we talk about it. And this group bonds together and it's powerful. And, you know, I'm facilitating. I'm not really leading. I'm just part of the group. 
And we have this text thread that goes on. And this text thread is, is people in our group. And they're constantly saying, hey, pray for me. I'm going in for this interview today. Hey, you know, we're going to the doctor today. Or, hey, I have this. And it's just this ongoing relationship that ha- happens outside of that. Because we determine we got to get outside of rows and we got to get inside of circles. And here's the reality of that. Is that if I need somebody to carry me and to climb a roof and to dig a hole and get me fr- in front of Christ, that's the people that are going to do it. If I need somebody who would climb up and make sure I got in front of Jesus, they would be the one. They would be the first people I would call or text in the midst of a crisis. And let me be candid, seriously. If a crisis happens to you this week and your first phone call is to the church receptionist upstairs, I am scared for you. Okay? Now, we want you to call. We want to know what's going on in your life. We want to reach out and be able to come around you. But if that is your first call, then my question to you is, where is the relationships that you are in that are happening outside of these rows? Because if you're not in a row, you're not going to grow. Now, secondly, some of you have grown. And you need to now know. In other words, you need to be the carrier of the mat. You need to be the one when someone's got an issue, someone has a crisis, someone needs to be lifted up onto a roof and let down through a hole. You, you would never know that because you're in a row. And if you stay in a row, you're never going to know those relationships providentially that God has intended you to intersect with. And so you're in that position right now where you don't need to be in a group. You need to be hosting and leading and, and surrounding yourself with really important relationships that God wants to use. So here's the two things. You're like, we heard about it. Let me say them one more time. Listen, first of all, if you are not in a relational group, we want you to get in one. All right? On the screen behind me, it tells you how to do that. And here's the deal. Here's the deal. Stop. Get your phone out right now. Okay? No, seriously. Get out. Here's, I know what you're thinking. Let me talk to the wife. Let me give it a couple days. Let me pray about it. Forget that. You don't need to pray about it. I prayed about it. He said get in a group, all right? It's all good, all right? It's all good. Just go on the app or go on there and just sign up for what we call Crossing Connection. We're having one specifically for Transform. Basically, it's a bunch of people who go, I need to get in a group. And they show up and we get you in a group. And I can't guarantee you that you're going to have these amazing stories and pictures to put on your Instagram. But I can guarantee you that if you don't try, you never will. And that there's providential relationship that God wants you to have. Here's the second thing. Some of you, you need to know. And so what Shane talked about earlier, you need to move out to a place where you're hosting. There are people you're having conversations with and they scare you because of how they're talking about their marriage, how they're talking about their life, how they're talking about their kids, how they're talking about their faith. And you know you need to grab them. And you say, listen, let's get in a circle. Let's get in a circle. Because listen to me, how many of you want to live 10 more years? You think you're going to live 10 more years? I know we all want to. How, some of you are like, no, I'm not going to live 10 more years. How, come on. How many of you want, most of us want to live 10 more years. So if we're a follower of Christ and we feel like we got at least a good 10 more years in us, then I want to ask you this. What is your plan to impact people for Christ over the next 10 years? The most amount of people you can. Because if we're Christians, we, we, we should want to do that. So you're like, I don't want to do that. I'm just going to kind of be an example. I don't know, live low, right? I'm going to use my napkin that Todd shared with us last week. That's good. That's good. You need to. I'm going to stick a sticker on my car, fish. <laughs> listen, okay? What are you going to do? Now, listen, here's what I want to say to you, all right? Some of you are like, I got no, how many of you got no plan? You got no plan, right? Okay, you either have no plan, your plan isn't working, Right? Or your plan's working. If your plan's working, go with it, okay? But if it's not, let me tell you simply this. Do our plan. 
Do our plan. If you've got no better plan, do our plan. Because guess what? You can be with a group of people for a year, a year or two. You get with another group, another, another group of people. Can you imagine the hundreds of people that you could influence and that could influence you over the next 10 years if you would just do life with people and allow God to work intentionally through you so that you can be providential in your life? All right? This is a day of action. And I want to ask you to take a big risk. And to allow yourself to be led where God wants to lead you. We have, we have children's workers and student workers every week that are gathering kids around. Some of you need to do that. That's where you need to get. Because we know that life change happens best in the, in the context of relationships. Get out of your row and get in a circle so you can grow. 